Hi, I'm Tony Denbach, and I'm the lead pastor of Clearview Community Church. Now, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about the subject of lordship, of what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, looking at Jesus' own words on the subject. Now, I have one more message that I'd like to speak to you on this subject. K. Arthur said this, If you do not plan to live the Christian life totally committed to knowing your God and to walk in obedience to him, then don't begin. For this is what Christianity is all about. It is a change of citizenship, a change of governments, a change of allegiance. If you have no intention of letting Christ rule your life, then forget Christianity. It is not for you. Now, this is another one of those hard statements that take people by surprise. It's not seeker-friendly, that's for sure. But it is consistent with the way that Jesus approached people. It runs counter to the way that a lot of people think today. See, one of the criticisms that I hear from a lot of people is that Christianity can be so black and white, so right or wrong. And what Jesus would likely say is that, well, that's the way the world works. He spoke of the straight and narrow way to life. He stated that no one could come to God except through him. Now, there's no question that it is narrow. It was intended to be. It's a truth statement. The question is, is it true? As Winston Churchill said, the truth is incontrovertible. Malice may attack it. Ignorance may deride it. But in the end, there it is. See, Christianity doesn't just present a nice way to live our lives so that our children are better behaved by obeying the golden rule. See, biblical Christianity claims to present the truth according to God. And each of us must decide for ourselves whether or not Jesus was right. Richard Newhouse said, If what Christians say about Good Friday is true, then it is quite simply the truth about everything. See, Good Friday was when Jesus died. And if Jesus was, in fact, the Son of God and died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins, he cannot, he must not be ignored. If he did, and I firmly believe he did, then we owe him our allegiance. We owe him everything. If he did, then ultimate meaning is defined by him. Now, George Barna is famous as a researcher about faith and what people believe. Most of his work is done in the U.S., but a lot of the same trends are seen in Canada. He wrote that Americans are willing to expend some energy in religious activities, such as attending church and reading the Bible, and they are willing to throw some money in the offering basket. Because of such activities, they convince themselves that they are people of genuine faith. But when it comes time to truly establishing their priorities— and making a tangible commitment to knowing and loving God and to allowing him to change their character and lifestyle, most people stop short. We want to be spiritual and we want to have God's favor, but we're not sure we want him taking control of our lives and messing with the image and outcomes we've worked so hard to produce. Now, Jesus said some things that seemed very hard to understand. And one of those statements comes in the form of a paradox. It's found in Luke 9, 24. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. 
Now, hidden in this statement, I believe, is the key to fulfillment in our lives. In order to understand this verse or any other, we need to look at it in context. It says, And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now Jesus was preparing to go to the cross. More than that, he was preparing his disciples for the events that would shortly take place. He said that he would suffer at the hands of the religious leaders. He shared that he would ultimately die. Now in Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 16, the Apostle Peter, always thinking with his mouth, was again the first to speak. And he said what everyone else was likely thinking. He said, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus' response was shocking. He declared that Peter was a stumbling block to him and was actually being used as a tool by Satan. <laughs> now, this was a remarkable scene with deep meaning. See, the truths represented here and in the verses that followed, I believe, hold the key to truly understanding the Christian life. Jesus understood his purpose. It was to give his life as a ransom for many, as we see in Matthew chapter 20. Any other plan, while obviously less painful, would have the devastating consequence of leaving the world without a Savior. Jesus went to the cross, recognizing it was absolutely necessary for God's will to be accomplished, and knowing that, in the end, he would be raised up. He was willing to endure whatever cost for the sake of humanity. He chose to lose his life to find it for us. Now, lordship demands obedience to God. See, he challenges us to do the same as what he was willing to do. This is what part of Christianity that many, or maybe most, do not understand. It's not about religion, about empty tradition and ritual. It's about following Jesus Christ and joining him in bringing about God's kingdom on earth. It's not about blindly following some ancient symbol of heroic sacrifice either. It's following a living Savior who actually indwells his people by the Holy Spirit. It's not about receiving Jesus so that we can get rich and have all of our problems solved. It's about recognizing that God can use everything in our lives, the good and the bad, to bring about ultimate good in our lives and in the lives of others. So how is this lived out? How is it possible to live in 2023 in obedience to God? I think there are a few keys that we can see from these verses we've just read. The first is found in the example of Jesus. See, lordship demands that we lay down our own agendas. Now, many have wrestled with this. 
the rich young ruler, for example, in the Gospels, walked away from Jesus because he couldn't serve God on his own terms. He thought he knew better. Many people ask this question, can't I just serve God living my life the way that I want? Well, not according to Jesus. He got angry with Peter because Peter was tempting him to take the easy way out, which is what Satan always does. He tempts us to take that easy way. And he said to him, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, there are some very hard statements here. How many of us would have the same things said of us? Is it really necessary to give God every area of my life? Isn't it enough that I go to church and, and I volunteer? Why does God need for me to be willing to give him everything? Well, it's not for his sake, but for ours. See, God doesn't need me or you. Do you think that God can't get by without you, without your time, without your money, without your talent? God will accomplish all that he has purposed in his mind to do, with or without you. But the question is, will you be a part of what God is doing in this world? If you're unwilling, he will simply find another. To find your place in his plan, Jesus said that we first need to lay down our own agendas. As he said in Luke 9, verse 25, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Now, Max Lucado, in his book, Just Like Jesus, wrote, God's plan for you is nothing short of a new heart. If you were a car, God would want control of your engine. If you were a computer, God would claim the software and the hard drive. If you were an airplane, he'd take his seat in the cockpit. But you are a person, so God wants to change your heart. He wants all of you. See, lordship demands that God's priorities become our own. And so here's what he's saying. Jesus is telling us that God's priorities must be our priorities. That's why his prayer to his father in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was preparing to go to his death, was not my will but yours be done. He was willing to submit his will to his Father's will. He invites each of us in our own setting to willingly lay down our priorities and submit them to God's higher purpose. And here's where the guys in the cheap seats start screaming. See, how is it that God would ask or even expect us to lay down selfish pursuits for a higher purpose? Doesn't he know that it's all about us? It's all about me. Haven't we all been told, especially in North America, that we deserve to be waited on hand and foot? Commercials tell us we deserve it. Here's a newsflash. True Christianity is countercultural and also counterintuitive. Jesus Christ came to be a servant, and his followers are called to serve as well. The reasons he can ask this of us are many. He created us, and he knows us intimately, our individual gifts, our talents, and our abilities. He also knows the purpose for which he created us, how we can fulfill that purpose, and he has the power to bring that to pass. And with all of that, yes, he calls us to lay down our lives in order that we may live. Now, here's the kicker. We really can't grasp this truth without simply surrendering to it. And that is so hard for us who live in this me-first culture. So what we've tried to do is to remake Jesus in our own image, a safe, nice guy who had tremendous insight into human nature and wants us to behave ourselves. Well, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people 
live. In John 10, verse 10, he said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, if you call yourself a Christ follower, then follow. While the sea of humanity muddles around in the valley, he's carrying his own cross up a hill, giving his life for others. Now, we are here today living in a world that is facing staggering challenges. There are natural disasters that cry out for compassionate ministries. There are poverty, hunger, and disease issues that demand holistic solutions. There are environmental concerns that call for the best of creative thinking and solid stewardship. There are societal issues that are tearing at the fabric of our families and need the application of God's truth. There are spiritual issues that require God's people to live out God's truth in God's world. Now, God is not waiting for you, but he is inviting you to roll up your sleeves and join him. And that begins with a commitment. Now, Rick Warren wrote this. It's called a declaration. He says, today I am stepping across the line. I'm tired of waffling and I'm finished with wavering. I've made my choice. The verdict is in, and my decision is irrevocable. I'm going God's way. There's no turning back now. I will live the rest of my life serving God's purposes with God's people on God's planet for God's glory. I will use my life to celebrate his presence, cultivate his character, participate in his family, demonstrate his love, and communicate his word. Since my past has been forgiven and I have a purpose for living and a home awaiting in heaven, I refuse to waste any more time or energy on shallow living, petty thinking, trivial talking, thoughtless doing, useless regretting, hurtful resenting, or faithless worrying. Instead, I will magnify God, grow to maturity, serve in ministry, and fulfill my mission in the membership of his family. Because this life is preparation for the next, I will value worship over wealth, we over me, character over comfort, service over status, and people over possessions, position, and pleasures. I know what matters most, and I'll give it all I've got. I'll do the best I can with what I have for Jesus Christ today. I won't be captivated by culture, manipulated by critics, motivated by praise, frustrated by problems, debilitated by temptation, or intimidated by the devil. I'll keep running my race with my eyes on the goal, not the sidelines or those running by me. When times get tough and I get tired, I won't back up, back off, back down, back out, or backslide. I'll just keep moving forward by God's grace. I'm spirit-led, purpose-driven, and mission-focused, so I cannot be bought, and I will not be compromised, and I shall not quit until I finish the race. I'm a trophy of God's amazing grace, so I will be gracious to everyone, grateful for every day, and generous with everything that God entrusts to me. To my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I say, however, whenever, wherever, and whatever you ask me to do, my answer in advance is yes. Wherever you lead and whatever the cost, I'm ready 
anytime, anywhere, anyway, whatever it takes, Lord, whatever it takes. I want to be used by you in such a way that on that final day, I'll hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful one. Come on in and let the eternal party begin. Would you pray with me today? Dear God, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to hear from your word. And I pray, God, that your word would sink deep into our hearts and call us to a deeper commitment to you. And for those who do not know you, I pray that today would be the day that they would open their hearts to you and allow you in, or that they would confess their sin and receive your forgiveness. And your word tells us that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I pray that each of us who do know you, Lord, would surrender fully and would give our lives completely to you to follow you for the rest of our days. Use us for your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So live in the confidence that God has come to us. He has sought us. He has found us and he has redeemed us. Be inspired by his grace, humbled by his love, and empowered by his spirit. Let him live in you and through you. May you be his hands and his feet in a world in need. God bless you. Thank you for listening today. If you prayed that prayer with me today, feel free to reach out. I would love to hear from you. God bless.